Well, listen, we are in the 18th chapter of the book of uh, Acts, and we're just about ready to conclude the uh, second missionary journey. And we have been learning several things that are important, important. Here are some of the things that are important in the church. You ready? Depending upon the person and work and power of the Holy Spirit. And in America, we have two camps. One camp doesn't even want to discuss the Holy Spirit because they've seen terrible abuses. And so they put their head in the sand and say, oh, wow, you're talking about the Holy Spirit. Well, you must be you know, wacky or something. I don't know. And they've seen the abuses, and rightly so. Some of those abuses have been rough. But then we have the camp over here who have abused the Holy Spirit and have made him out something that he's not. And, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because we don't want abuses, let's remember that the Holy Spirit is God himself, one God in three persons. And he comes and lives in your life. And then if you're to have power to do ministry, and oh, by the way, All of you are called, if you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, each one of you are called to a ministry. I just don't know what it is, but the Lord knows what it is, and he's going to reveal it to you, and he's asking you to do it not by your power or might, but by his spirit. It's the only way that eternal things get done is when we rely upon the Lord. And you're seeing incredible feats of ministry, at least that's what we think, these incredible feats of ministry through the first 17 chapters of Acts. But I would say to you that that's not like these incredible things. It should be the normal course of business for the Christian and for the church. And I want to show you that today. In fact, about two weeks ago, someone downstairs said to me, oh, that Paul. And what they were implying was he was some sort of superhuman saint that we could never attain to. And I was thinking to myself, I've done a really poor job of teaching. And the reason is, is because all of us have the same resource as the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to show that hopefully to you today. And that's the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And so I think when we're thinking about what is the book of Acts all about, I think number one, we should say, well, it's the continuation of the church after Jesus rose again and it's showing us how they did it and how they did it was by dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Amazing. So let's not tire of learning and growing. When you get to chapter 18, it says this, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And I'm going to ask our team to put up the map, map, if we have the map. And we're going to look at where Paul is going. So Paul has gone from Athens. He's up here, obviously, and he's moving down to Corinth, right? Or moving off to the west to Corinth. And let's think about what Corinth is or where Corinth is, and let's orient ourselves. Corinth or Yeah, Corinth is in Greece. Everybody know that? It's in Greece. So Athens and Greece were sort of two competing towns. Oh, Athens and Corinth were two competing towns in Greece. 
Athens has sort of started to see its glory fade a little bit. But listen, Athens was the intellectual and philosophical center of the thinking world. That's what Athens was. But when you get to Corinth, you encounter a different world. It's a capital of the region, and it would be called Sin City in our day. Athens, or excuse me, Corinth was, was Sin City. Corinth still exists, by the way. And why was it Sin City? Well, one of the reasons is it was a, a major port for commerce and trade. And when we went through Corinthians, we discussed this. There was actually, there was actually that four-mile little isthmus there, that four-mile little isthmus there actually had a place where a ship could pull up, and it was this like wooden roller, and it rolled the ship from this side to that side so that the sailors didn't have to go around what they considered the most dangerous cape in all of the ancient world. In fact, many of them, if they had to go around the Cape, would actually write out their last will and testament because it was really dangerous. So they developed this thing. And so it became a place where a lot of people, sailors, uh, trans, you know, people who were in and out, uh, sort of a city that had some residents, but had people come in and out for commerce and trade. It also had a hill that was very, or that was uh, prominent, that had a temple, a temple to the goddess Aphrodite, Venus, the goddess of love. And that temple, uh, each evening, a thousand or so prostitutes would descend upon the city and they would engage in their trade with lots of the people from the city in worship to the goddess. And so this was sort of, um, uh, in the ancient world became a, a, a name for people who lived immorally. They'd call you a Corinthian. It became like a cuss word or a, I don't know, cuss word's the right word, but, a, you know, a derogatory remark. If somebody called you a Corinthian, they were saying you engaged in immoral practices because this was so notorious or famous. Everybody with me? And uh, so that is where Paul is heading. He's heading from Athens. Remember, some people, commentators, Bible scholars, think Paul didn't have a very successful ministry in Athens. And two of the things they point to are this. They argue that he didn't really discuss the full gospel. I'm not so sure about that personally. I'm just telling you what they said. But the second thing they cite is, this is one of the only places where Paul went that he, we don't find in the book of Acts where they established a church, the church of Athens. You don't really hear about it. I'm not so sure that's right, but I do know this. In the second chapter of the book of Corinthians, are you getting this? A letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church sometime after he had left, you know, five or six years after he had left, he gives us a little insight into how he was feeling as he walked from Athens to Corinth. And I wonder if you can uh, uh, identify with this. Uh, if you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let's go through that together just real quick. Can anybody identify with this? in life. 
And I, brethren, verse 1, when I came to you. So look, when Paul was walking from Athens to Corinth, or he was making his way to Corinth. Listen, listen now. Anybody ever felt like this? Uh, I didn't come with excellence of speech. By the way, some people quote this too as to why they don't believe he had a successful ministry in Athens because he learned his lesson, they say. He tried to be clever in Athens. It didn't work. Again, I'm not so sure about that. I'm just telling you what people say uh, or scholars say. But it didn't come with excellence or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. Watch. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Just hang in there. Know it's hot. This is important, man. And I was with you, watch this, in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. You ever been so scared you trembled? Raise your hand. Listen, this is a weird story, but I'm going to tell it to you. I told it once before. When we were kids, Jan and I, we went to this local school district, Newark School District, in Newark, Ohio. And we actually, when you got to sixth grade, it was a big deal because you were now graduating to middle school. Middle school was seventh, eighth, and ninth where we went. But if you went to, or when you got to sixth grade, in the spring of sixth grade, every elementary school in our hometown got to go to a camp, a residential camp. And it was really cool because the counselors were the high school seniors. So if you were a guy like me and loved sports, and one of your counselors was one of the football players or the basketball players, it was like, whoa, this is so awesome. And you got to be away from home, and you went to camp. And uh, on the last night of the camp in the lodge, the director, (laughs) this is so weird. I don't know why adults do this. But anyway, the director of the camp told us this really scary story about this local legend of this man who died, but came, anyway, and he was called, listen to all things, I'm going to tell you his name. It's really weird. The Green Giggy. If you were from Newark, Ohio, like I am, and you said the Green Giggy to people, we'd all laugh and we'd go, oh yeah, remember when we were in camp? And on this last night, as she's telling this story, okay, and you've got the lights off and everything, uh, all of a sudden, in the window, there's this face that appears and it starts glowing green and shutting down green. And all I can tell you is I was trembling. I mean, I didn't know it was coming. They kind of keep it secret. And I I can remember being frozen on the floor, seeing that thing in fear and trembling, right? See, that's the word Paul's using here. Some of us think Paul is a superhuman human like a superhero Christian, and he did do a lot of things. The Lord worked in and through him. But I want you to know something, that Paul felt fear like that, debilitating fear. He felt it, and he felt weakness, and he he knew that kind of hard thing that he was doing. He was rowing and sharing the gospel, and all the forces of hell are aligned against him. And he felt it. And whether or not you're of the camp that thought he uh, disappointed in Athens or not, I'm of the camp that he didn't. But whatever. If you're of that camp, great. If you're not, when he was walking to Corinth, he was feeling the strain of being a Christian. Now, let me tell you another story. When I we first started the men's... (laughs) 
the men's group up at Panera uh, a long time ago, about two years into this, we get in this debate about whether or not when you're de- fully depending upon the Holy Spirit, should it be easy or hard? And there were some in the camp who thought, well, gosh, I've, no matter what's thrown at you, it's going to be incredibly easy. And my response was, you ever read Paul's letters? I mean, beaten, thrown in prison for no reasons. I mean, there, there weren't reasons. I mean, he, he, he had it hard. And I would suggest to you, listen, folks, that the Bible says for those who follow Christ, we're going to partake in his sufferings. We're going to have trials and tribulations that are going to prepare us and mold us into Christ's likeness. And so I would argue that the Christian life is hard, but wait a minute, time out. It's also wonderful and sweet at the same time. And Paul knew it. That's what I want you to see. He felt the strain of ministry, folks. He was a human. He knew what it was like to fear and to tremble and to be weak. And by the way, just as an aside, later he talks in that same, those same letters that if you're weak, God can use you and make you strong. But if you're strong and prideful and unteachable, oh, he can't do anything. You get it? And so Paul said that was a wonderful thing. And, but I'm just trying to tell you what was going through Paul's mind as he's walking, as he's moving from Athens to Sin City. He must have been saying to himself, oh no. The last couple places I've been, jail, rod to the back, beaten, whew, and here we go to the most immoral place in the ancient world. Wow, the forces of hell are aligned against us. And so he moves on and he finds a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. I want you to see the first thing the Lord provided. Paul, weak, fear, trembling, strain, ministry, unrelenting pressure. You catching this? Read the Bible just for what it is. Isn't this amazing? God gives him a friend. (laughs) God gives him a friend, and not just one friend, two friends, his wife as well. Two friends. And if you, watch, folks, if you read the Bible of Aquila and Priscilla, they pop up about six or seven times, but there's not a ton about them. which tells me something. You can do ministry and it be really, really important ministry and you may never be well known, but it could be unbelievable, unbelievably valuable. And one of the things that you can do, if you wanted to be a real spiritual, spirit-filled Christian, one of the things that you can do is you can come along somebody, side somebody, who's strained and stressed and having a tough time and put your arm around them and encourage them and love them and have them over to your house and make them feel refreshed. Hospitality, it's a gift. 
And you could pray for that. And this is important. And on the flip side of that, I want to show you something that I think is really important. Will you turn with me to Proverbs 18 real quick? On the flip side of this, you know, when Paul, when Paul gets to the end of his letters, I love it. Don't you love it? And the Lord has to remind me about this because without the Lord in my life, folks, I am the ultimate, and I do mean ultimate with all capitals, loner. (laughs) But with the Lord in my life, he's changed that. And I want you to see something in Proverbs 18 that's really powerful. Because once in a while, I'll hear somebody say, I don't have any friends. Or somebody will come to the church and say, nobody pays attention to me there. Or I go to this church and nobody pays attention. And I just want you to read this. And think about verse one, a man or woman, by the way, who isolates himself or herself, seeks his own desire. He or she rages against all wise judgment. In other words, when you sometimes isolate yourself and you won't, you say, I don't have friends. Well, you got to look at yourself because The Bible here says oftentimes you're doing it because you love yourself. Ooh, is that hard to say? You want to have friends? Here's the first thing the Bible says, or one of the first things. Be a friend. You can't just sit in the corner and wait for somebody to talk to you all the time. Somebody should talk to you, by the way. But if they don't, go talk to them and make a friend. The Bible says... Those who isolate themselves desire their own good, their own selves. So when I go back to Paul in Acts chapter 18, I find both. The Lord supplying good friends, but also Paul, when you listen and read his letters, he has friends everywhere, which tells me that he tried to be a friend. He didn't. Watch. Watch this. Could there be anybody smarter about the Bible than Paul theologically? I mean, he wrote the book of Romans, folks. You read that a couple times? Well, he wasn't just theologically book smart. He had friends. He had friends. Who here is a loner? Oh, come on. Yeah, me too. Yes, I'm a loner. I need the Lord in my life telling me and keeping me this way because we can sharpen one another and we can refresh one another and we can lift one another up. Anyway, he meets initially Aquila. I love it. God just sends a friend and his wife, Priscilla. So Aquila there, born in Pontius, really recently come uh, uh, from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. By the way, Priscilla's name comes from a family name, Priscus or something like that, in Rome, that was a really highfalutin, high society name. So some people believe this Priscilla lady came from the upper crust of Roman society, right? Well, here they are. They're born in Pontius. They come from Italy with Priscilla because this guy named Claudius. Claudius was the emperor of Rome. Claudius commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and they came to them. And that happened, there is a, uh, the, the history tells us that happened around 49 BC, 
when he actually came or they came from Rome here to Corinth, we don't exactly know. But this was cool. How did they become friends? Wake up, hot, I know. How did they become friends? It's because Paul was a tent maker, leather maker. He was a leather worker or a tent maker, okay? And so was this husband and wife team. So no doubt they met through their occupation. They met through their occupation and they become fast friends. He was of the same trade. He stayed with them and worked for by occupation, they were tent makers. They were tent makers. So you see that. And we know this, don't we know this? As an aside, where is your first ministry other than your house? Your house, first ministry. Where is your first ministry other than your house? Where do you spend the most time other than with your family? Here it comes, your work. And half of the congregation just went, oh no. I hate my work. You ever thought this though? Who else can go to your work? Because I can't and others can't, but you can. God has selected you for now to be at that place and to work and to minister to people. And we've talked at length. I know there's rules about being in the workplace and you know sharing and Christianity and all that sort of thing. But you gotta take lunch and you go off the premises and people are gonna ask you why you're praying for that meal. Or they'll look at you and giggle and you can ask them why you're giggling when I pray. And boy, there you got a captive audience and off you go. It's so easy, it's incredible. You can do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. So your first ministry is your work, other than your family, of course, that's first. That's your Jerusalem, and then your work. That's where you spend your time. And Paul did that. And one of the things that God did through his work was to bring friends. Now, the second thing about tent makers, remember Paul's theology about making money. You all with me now? When he writes the book of Corinthians, he talks about making money. He says, there is no problem with people making money as they devote their lives to the Lord and minister to people in the Lord. No problem with that. They should be paid for their wages, right? Paul says that. And uh, he even says, honor your leaders who teach you and, and, you know, those sorts of things. So there's no problem. But he was personally convicted, as we see in his writings, that he, as much as he could, was going to work so that he wasn't even thought of in any way of taking money for the gospel. So he was a tent maker. That was his deal. But we know, too, that there were times when Paul was sufficiently provided for monetarily, and so he would devote time to the churches only. Is everybody with me? And in fact, in the book of Philippians and in Corinthians, we know that the Philippian church sent some money on to Paul, and we think then that Paul here at Corinth 
even though he was a tent maker, at some point stopped. And the reason is, is because he was there 18 months and he received a gift. I'm just saying, there has to be a balance. I mean, should we be wearing $70,000 watches? And, and should you really catch me on pastors with sneakers, the Instagram site, with like, you know, $2,000 pair of sneakers? I don't know about that. I don't know. But the, the same token, pastors and ministry leaders and missionaries should be provided for so they don't have to worry and they can concentrate on what the Lord's called them to, right? And even the Bible tells us that giving financially is a spiritual gift. Everybody with me? All that's wrapped up in what Paul was doing right here. He was working in this sin city, Corinth. And look what he did. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. Paul's a one-string guitar. There's no other method. As Soon as he got to a city... Corinth now, do you see, okay, it's not up there, but can you see how instrumental it would be for the gospel to go forth in Corinth? That means all people who are coming in and out of the city are going to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. You get that? So it was instrumental and it was important to him. So he had a strategy. I'm going to go where people are prepared in their hearts. They've at least read through the Bible, Jewish people, Old Testament, all the prophecies about the Messiah. They've been prepared, so they would go down there, and guess what Paul would do? He wouldn't get up here like me and lecture the whole time. He sat down with them, and he reasoned in the scriptures. They didn't just want to know what the gospel was. Paul wanted them, and they wanted to know why, what, why. And he went through it, and he explained in depth That's what these words mean in the Greek. Folks, do me a favor this week. Write it down. Get your pen out. I see none of you are getting your pens out. Oh, Jan got her pen. Good. (laughs) I want you to write somebody down, somebody you know that believes totally opposite of what you believe. Write their name down right now and invite them to lunch this week. I got something funny to say right here, but I'm refraining. (laughs) Invite them to lunch. Go to lunch with them. Hear their story. Let them, guess what happens? If you listen to their story and get to know them, they're ultimately at some point when they run out of breath, although there are a few people who don't do that. (laughs) When they run out of breath, they're going to ask you your story. And now you got them. You really want to hear my story? Okay, here's my story. And you tell them. And now they've heard, and they go, they might say, okay, never going to have lunch with that wacko again. Or they might say, really? I never knew. Tell me more. That's what Paul was doing. He wasn't afraid to go into places where people believe things that were different than what he believed. In fact, he sought it out so that he could share the gospel in the hardest places. You say, well, I can't do that. Yeah, you can, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's what's happening. And they go there, and they reason together. And so because uh, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and listen, he persuaded both Jews and Greeks. 
The Lord just kept bringing them. He looks for men and women who are willing to do it. You want to do evangelism? Invite somebody to lunch that believes something totally different than you. Don't just reason with them, talk with them, love them, hear their stories. Well, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, oh, he's, de- he's fearful, he's shaking. I know. Only, I got to tell you these stories because this is the only thing I know, me. <laughs> when, when I was a kid, you know, I, I, I played baseball and football and basketball, and I was okay in baseball, but then in sixth grade, this pitcher, the fastest pitcher in the league, hit me right in the back of the neck with a fastball. And man... I hated to get in the batter's box. I hated it. You could tell me he's not going to hit you. I mean, I played football a long time, and I would rather have a 250-pound guy hit me in the head, run right through me, tackle me, than get hit by a baseball. But you know what sort of calmed me down to get me in the batter's box? If my friends and family would come to the game, I have no idea why. But I hated it. I was scared. Even to this day, I don't like somebody throwing a baseball at me. Oh, don't say, ah, you make me feel bad. (laughs) And look look what God just keeps doing. Priscilla and Aquila, boom. Keep going. He's doing great. Here comes Silas and Timothy. Man, the Lord is so kind. And these were people, right? Timothy was a great server and they asked him to come on board with him and Silas and they'd come down from uh, Macedonia and you could read about that in the Thessalonian, uh, what they were doing there in the Thessalonian uh, uh, letter. But Paul was compelled by the spirit and testified that to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. He gets to the heart of the matter. Jesus is the Messiah. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, what were they blaspheming? They were blaspheming Jesus Christ. Paul shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. And it seems harsh, but in the ancient world, when people would leave a city and they wouldn't listen to the message, they would shake everything off and stamp their feet. Like, okay, I've done my best. Lord, you're going to have to deal with them now. And that's what Paul was saying here. And in fact, you're going to see right away, he keeps ministering to the Jews, so he didn't give up on them completely. But here he goes. And he departed, verse 7, and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God. I mean, come on, folks. Is the Bible, is God funny or what? Come on. You got to lighten up sometimes. Look at this. He gets kicked out of the synagogue. So the guy next door says, hey, you can set up shop here. So Paul goes right next door, Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. So not only did Paul do what he did, shake off off all the dust, but the Lord puts him right next door. So he's ministering to the people next door, but he's also still sort of ministering to the people who are walking by at the synagogue. Amazing. God's so tender and faithful and never gives up. So he does. He goes next door. And uh, I lost my place. (laughs) 
Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door. Then, watch this, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. This is great. I mean, can you imagine in Corinth, folks, wake up, I know, hot, you'll be at the pool soon. You're on that isthmus, and you're walking in there, and you're nervous and fearful. Anybody been paralyzed by fear? Yes, I have. Green giggy. No, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> but in ministry and in life, you're paralyzed, and you're doing it, and immediately you're like, oh, Lord, and I don't know if I can do it. And the Lord sends a friend. And you're, you're, you go, okay, thanks. You've given me grace for today, and you've built me up. I'm going to go down to the synagogue. And I get down there, and they sort of say, you got to get out of here. Get out of the synagogue. And the next thing you know, he's preaching next door, and the ruler of the synagogue and his whole house gets saved. You imagine how buoyed he must have been in spirit with Silas now there with him and his understudy Timothy, the guys who really propped him up. And now <laughs> the whole religious sector, Jewish sector, and the God-fearers who were Greek, they must have been like, what is going on? A ruler of the synagogue came out of Judaism and is following Christ. Amazing. All by the power of the Holy Spirit, Crispus does this, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. In fact, Crispus there is baptized by Paul, we know, from the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. And what a great day for this. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you're counting on his finished work at the cross and resurrection for new life. Do I have to get baptized? Well, of course not. But should you get baptized? Yes, you should get baptized. The thief on the cross, he was with God uh, uh, in paradise with the Father immediately. He wasn't baptized, folks. But should you get baptized? Yes, because it's an outward sign of something that's happened inward for you. Romans chapter 6. Your old nature has been linked in his death, and you've been raised to new life. The thing that happened for Christ happened for you as you linked up with him. You get that? That's incredible. I know it's hot, but that deserves claps and shouts and amazing. You've been raised to new life. It's amazing. It's why you get up in the morning. And so they were baptized, and Paul baptized. And now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Paul, man, can you imagine? You know what Paul was saying just a few years earlier? Who is this, this followers of Christ, the way? Who are these people? We have the monopoly on religion and one true God. And the next thing you know, he's walking on the road to Damascus. And what happens? Paul sees a vision. Doesn't he? A vision of the Lord. And he says, hey, why are you persecuting me? And the visions continue. And the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. And if you keep going, he had several of these. And by a vision, in the night. Now, I just got to pause. I know. Maybe we'll have a water break. 
and then we'll just keep going. Like football or basketball or something. We'll get a drink and keep going. But I want you to see something. We've talked about this in the last couple of weeks. You know that the Lord sends songs in the night? It says it. He'll send you a song in the night. And I think it means night like when it's dark. But I also think in the dark nights of your soul. But he also, watch, sent a vision here to Paul. Listen, fear, trembling, unsure, weak. I mean, Paul must have been praying, Lord, I need you this morning and all day because I don't know if I could do it anymore. I'm hurting. I'm scared. These are the prayers they had to have been to Paul. And all day, Lord, I can't believe you're doing this through me because... I'm scared and I'm hurting. Why does the vision come to Paul? It's because Paul was scared. That's why the vision came. You can't make Paul a superhuman dude. He had feelings like us. He was like us. He is, you know what I'm saying? And that'll happen for you. And the vision comes in the night. The problem for us is, is when we get up in the night... I wonder if we miss out on the coming of the Lord. Here's what I do a lot of times. Oh, Jan's asleep, man. I could watch Sports Center three times in a row. No one will bug me. I've already seen it, but I'll watch it again because I just like to watch it. And I wonder if I'm missing out on the songs that the Lord wants to give me or the vision that the Lord wants to give me when I wake up in the night, and at my age, it's every night, or I'm preoccupied with other things. I think the Lord wants to bring it to us. But even when we're sad we're, or, or, or weak, we're doing other things and we're preoccupied with like Netflix and the news and blah, 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 or whatever, Spotify, and then the next thing you know, you're back asleep And the Lord's like, I I would have brought you a song. I guess he could have on Spotify, right? But anyway, but speak and don't keep silent. Watch this. Paul, don't be afraid that the reason is, is because he was afraid. But speak, Paul was thinking, listen, listen. Paul was thinking about not speaking. You get that? I might just shut it down right here. Lord says, no, speak, speak. And do not keep silent. Why? 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 For I am with you. Where is Jason Franks? You believe Jason Franks paying attention to the next chapter of Scripture, and we sing this song today, I am not alone. He's right on. And the worship team is right on. I am not alone. You are not alone because the Lord, no matter what the enemy is telling you, you're a loser. No one cares. Nobody could ever love you. The reality is God is with you. Christ is with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you for I have many people in this city. Now let's unpack this. Don't leave this now. This is so funny. (laughs) Paul usually would go establish a church, (laughs) get beat up, put in prison. He'd leave pretty quickly. The Bible's funny, man. It tells us here in a couple verses he stayed for a year and a half. Why? Because the Lord said, nobody's going to touch you. Oh, you guys don't think that's funny. I think it's funny. I think it says, it talks about Paul's humanity. He was directed by the Holy Spirit. 
but he also was real. You know, the rods in the back don't feel that great. Maybe I'll just minister here for a while, and he did, and he did a good job. And I want you to then see another thing that maybe you didn't catch. The Lord says to Paul, Paul, walking down towards from Athens, oh, I only had a couple converts in Athens. I'm scared to death. I have no friends. I'm trembling. I'm weak. I don't know how I'm going to do this. The Lord sends friends. Boom, 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 friends. Then the Lord comes to him in a vision because he was paying attention. Lord showed and said, hey, don't be afraid. That would be good. And also, don't shut it down. Keep speaking. And oh, by the way, I'm going to let you into a little glimpse of my sovereignty versus free will. Is it sovereignty or free will? Uh-huh, yeah. I got many people. Listen, this, this, I want to jump up and down. The Lord says in Corinth, I got many people in this city. In other words, there are people here who have been chosen to surrender their life to me. And you're going to go out and share the gospel, and they're going to come. So is it God's sovereignty or human will? And the answer is, yeah, it's a combination of both. But listen, folks, the Lord's saying that to you today. Where, where do you live? Yell out a borough. West Mifflin. What else? Jefferson. Where else? What'd you say? West Mifflin. Pleasant Hills. Baldwin, listen, every place you just said, there are people in the city there that God has. Oh, I get excited about that. I get excited. Don't you get excited about that? They're there. Let's keep praying. Let's keep sharing. Let's keep loving. Let's keep reasoning. Let's keep with people because God has people in the city. Don't you have a heart for Pittsburgh? Don't you want to see a revival come to Pittsburgh? Up and down this river first, Mon Valley. God has people here who have not surrendered their life to Christ. Yes, let's go to Hungary. Yeah, I love it. I want to go back. But while we're here, let's go here too. Let's go out in the streets and share and invite people to lunch. God has people in this city. Now, here's one other thing that puzzles me but doesn't puzzle me. The last two places Paul was, Lystra, Philippi, I guess that was before Athens. <laughs> he keeps getting beat up everywhere he goes. So why didn't the Lord come to him at Lystra and Philippi and say, don't be afraid. Nobody's going to touch you. But they did touch him. Why? I don't know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Here's what I think. <laughs> I think sometimes God takes you out of the storm or the fire because you need it. But also, I think God sometimes keeps you in the fire because you need it. And he's only going to do what's perfect and good for you. What do I mean? Turn over to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42, and write this verse down. If you're in the middle of a trial, write this verse down, memorize it, and know it. Isaiah 
Hold on a minute. <laughs> I think I got the wrong verse. 43. Verse 2. <laughs> I'm way off. 43, verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. I think sometimes God takes you out of the fire or takes you out of the trial. But sometimes I think he says, I'm keeping you in the fire or the trial. And, but here's what he says. Listen, I'll be there with you. So that when you're in the trial, the Bible asks us to count it all joy. And to recognize that God's doing something, developing faith, perseverance, patience, all those sorts of things. And so it doesn't have to be like, yippee, I'm in a trial. But you recognize that when you're in a trial, listen, he's there with you so that at the same time, it's tough, but wonderful. Tough, but wonderful, because you are in fellowship with the Lord in ways that you've never known, in a deeper way. In fact, you could just look at the fiery furnace. The friends of Daniel are in there. There's a fourth pair of feet in there. And everybody else, in fact, Nebuchadnezzar's soldiers who bring the friends get burnt up. All the ropes and stuff get burnt up, but when they come out of the fire, they haven't been touched because there was a fourth pair of feet in the fire, Jesus Christ. And that's you. That's why I think he didn't do it here. So now watch. And he continued there a year and six months. So funny. Teaching the word of God among them. Now I know it's hot and we're going to move on here, but I got to read you this one quote. And here's why you've sort of chosen to come to a church that's convicted that you should go through the word and that we should go through the word together because we believe that the word makes healthy sheep. I want to read you something from a guy named John Butler. He said this, one of the most obvious ways we show our commitment to God's work is in steadfastly teaching and preaching God's word. Everybody with me? This was Paul's practice, as we noted at the beginning of this section. But listen, it's not an easy thing to do. Wake up. Paul kept going 18 months teaching and preaching the word of God. And Butler here says, that's not an easy thing to do. Why? For God's word, watch, watch, is not readily received today, even in many of our churches. Do you know how many churches say shut it down after 17 minutes or I'm leaving? I'm not kidding. 17-minute sermons, and they monitor this. And I understand. You're asking me to be quiet right now. I get it. But here's the deal, folks. It's not an easy thing to do, for God's word is not readily received. Why? Because the enemy wants you to think it's hot, don't listen, I'm not going back there, blah, 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 it's too long. And wherever you go, you don't have to come here, but get the word. It's not an easy thing to do, for God's word isn't easily received. Hence, the tendency is not to preach the word faithfully or to de-emphasize it in one's work. But that is unfaithfulness to one's calling, 
We are to preach and teach the word. Watch, listen to this. Whether the people want it or not. Yes. I wish I'd have written that. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) And Paul did it. Now, I want you to see that. Paul did it. It wasn't all just the miracles and all the stuff you want to see. I want to see miracles too. It was the hard work of knowing and receiving and, listen, write this down, obeying the word. Obeying. Tony Evans, man, you know Tony Evans? You know what Tony Evans says? Christians audit Christianity. Audit Christianity is this. We come and we check in and we listen to the sermons, but we don't want to do any of the work or ever get a grade. Tony Evans is right. But if we come here together, here's what we're going to do together. We're going to keep, get and keep healthy through the teaching of God's word. And I know, I understand. Sometimes people come and they say, you just go too long for me. And I'm like, I agree. I do go long. I I know I do. But you know what? (laughs) The Lord changed our lives and will change all of our lives through the word of God. He will if we'll obey and do. And not just audit the class. So when Gallio was pro council of this area, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. By the way, if you go to Corinth today, who likes to travel? The judgment seat remains. You can see it. It's still there. It's called the Bema seat. That'll become important for us Christians, what the Bema seat judgment is, but that's for another day. And brought him to the judgment seat saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Now, Gallio is a Roman. He's like what Pontius Pilate was in Jesus' time. He's a Roman. And the Jews bring uh, Paul to that judgment seat. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, (laughs) this one's full of funny stuff. (laughs) Is there ever a time you just said, man, I wish I wouldn't have opened my mouth? Oh, yeah. Well, just two of us, but... Period is, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is cut off by a Roman. And the Roman says, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be a reason why I should bear with you. But if it's a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves. I don't want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks, it's not funny, really. It's all the Greeks take the next ruler of the synagogue. Can you imagine Sosthenes here? Sosthenes must have been saying, thanks a lot, Justice, for giving your life to the Lord. Because I became ruler of the synagogue now, and after all of this happened, the Greeks take Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things, so Paul remained a good while, took leave of the brethren. Can you put up the map? And the uh, missionary uh, journey too. Then he took leave of the brethren, sailed for Syria. Look at this. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. Don't miss that. They just came by him and checked on him, made sure he was okay. What a beautiful ministry 
Marrieds can have in that way, and so can singles, but it's just they're marrieds here, and they're just rowing in the same boat. He had his hair cut off at Sancria. You can see that up there, hopefully, for he had taken a vow. Just real quickly, he's probably taking a Nazarite vow. You can find that in Numbers 6. He didn't give up his Jewishness. Did you see this? He's under grace, but he takes a vow where he shaves his head and consecrates himself to the Lord for a time. That helped him worship. Was he free to do it? Yes. Was he free not to do it? Yes. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay, he didn't consent, but took leave of them saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. I'll return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus and he landed at Caesarea. He'd gone up and greeted the church uh, in Jerusalem. And then he goes down to Antioch. He actually goes up on the map, but in topography, he goes up to the church at Antioch. And that's the end of the second missionary journey. You see that? Uh, I want you to know something here. The rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. Maybe turn over to 1 Corinthians 1.1 and let your socks be blessed off. You talk about the power of the gospel. Paul was not ashamed of the power of the gospel. Paul, 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. I love this. And Sosthenes, our brother. You know what happens sometimes? The world beats people up. They opt for the world. They opt for a life without Jesus Christ, and they get beat up like Sosthenes. And what does the Bible tell us leads to repentance? The kindness of the Lord leads to repentance, it says in one place in the Bible. And the people who have been beaten up out in the world, listen, remember that they had that lunch with you, and they laughed. And they giggled when you said, I'm a Christ follower. And they said, Christ follower? You don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't blah, 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 blah. What? You know how the world does. And they sort of now giggle about you. And you sort of, right? And they go out in the world and they do their thing and eventually, listen, like Sosthenes, they get pummeled. And where do they go? To the Christian. God leads them in kindness to the Christian who shares with them like Paul shared with Sosthenes or at least the early church with so like Sosthenes and they give their life to the Lord. Is that the greatest thing ever or what? And so what I would say is, and I, I think we're going to worship one last time. I, I, I would say this. Folks, if you're weak, If you're trembling like me at camp, if you just feel like you don't have it all together, you know what the Lord says? Great. Now I can do my work. 
Here's what I'll do. I'll send you into a fellowship and you'll have some friends. They'll start to build you up. You'll still feel weak and whacked and all that sort of thing. You'll start sharing the gospel, inviting people who are different. They'll laugh at you maybe. Maybe they won't. Maybe they will. God will protect you or maybe he'll put you in a trial but he'll be with you. But later on, look, you'll reap the reward when God brings that person back to you and they say, you know, two years ago when we had lunch and I laughed, I need you now. Tell me what it is that you have that I don't have. Patience. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do. We come here and we pray for a fresh filling. We ask that you'd fill us up with your spirit. Lord, may we die to ourself so that we could minister to the people who are in the city. Because it, you tell us, and I'm convinced, that in Pittsburgh and all these boroughs we mentioned today, there are people there. And you say, we just need workers for this harvest. Laborers. So, Lord, you've heard all this. We pray it and lift it up to you and ask, Lord, that there would be a great harvest, a great ingathering before you come back for your church. And we know that soon. In Jesus' name, amen.